welcome to Cancer Conversations. I'm your host, Erica Matthews. I am a wife, mom, and wellness coach. I understand the trauma of getting a cancer diagnosis and the intense battle a person instantly steps into. This podcast is all about learning how to overcome adversity and how activating faith plays a key role in the outcomes we want to have. Each week, I will be bringing you education and inspiration, as well as interviews with other fellow warriors. Get ready to be empowered in your faith, mindset, and your health. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Cancer Conversations, episode 38, and I can't believe I'm already at 38 episodes, and I just feel so proud of that, just getting all this information out to the world that you can heal, and just bringing on the guests that have done that just shows us that healing naturally with the Holy Spirit can be done, so Anyways, this week I have a very special guest that I'm bringing on, and I thought that I've actually wanted to do this episode for a long time, and so my very special guest this week is actually my husband, and his name is Lael Matthews. So Lael, welcome to the show. Thank you, honey. Yeah, I thought I was going to be one of your first guests, and here I guess I'm number 38, (laughs) but I'm just so proud of you for all you've done during this journey and that you've just been willing to share your journey with um, your audience and provide them hope and healing. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode, because I think even when I first had this idea, which I knew was from the Lord to do a podcast, I, I had asked you, I'm like, honey, we have to do an episode because I feel like people need to know, you know, what it's like from the caregiver's perspective. And so that's, I just want to have a conversation with you. And I know many people will be able to relate to us. So yeah, so it's been almost four years. I cannot even believe it. And it's been a bumpy ride, right? Yes. So for those of you who do not know my husband and I, we are very different, but you know what they say, opposites attract. And I'm sort of the fly by the seat of our pants. I I have, you know, an organized life somewhat, but I'm very, you know, just, I wing it a lot. And that's my personality. And he actually has the mind of an engineer and actually that's what he does for a living. He's an engineer. So when you put those two personality types together, they work magically. So it's been interesting to see how God has really changed both of us through this diagnosis. So honey, I want to just talk about when you first heard the news, let's talk about almost four years ago, what went through your head? Well, just like anybody that would receive that news for their spouse, you have thoughts of fear and thoughts of what do I do? And you're wanting to know prognosis and diagnoses and hoping that extra tests will show something else. So yeah, it's a lot going through your head. But for me, it was kind of a, okay, well, let's just take the first step. First step is double check and see what the issue is. And then the next step was, well, it sounds like we need to do some surgery. So we had you go into surgery and 
I think you were, we were kind of on the same page at that point. Yeah. Right. Right. Probably for the first like two weeks of it, because it was so fast. They were like, oh my gosh, you have cancer everywhere. We got to move, move, move. And it was chemo, radiation, surgery. And I was like, well, this is happening so fast. I don't even know what I, I want to do. Does it matter? And I remember my doctor saying that uh, it didn't really matter if I wanted to do chemo first. That would be fine if I wanted to do the surgery first. That would be fine and just get rid of as much cancer as possible. So so that's what I did. But we had some troubles, as some of you know, who have listened to my first episode with the bowel obstruction. And I want to talk about that for a second because that was crazy for me being in the hospital for 10 days. But let's talk about a phone call that you got from the doctor that did my bowel obstruction surgery. Yeah, so initially when you were in the hospital, I wasn't too worried about you, to tell you the truth. I just felt you were going to get through it okay, and there wasn't going to be any issues. And um, even when you would send me texts of that tube up your nose or down your nose, and you looked miserable, and I kind of chuckled a little bit, because I'm like, oh, that's just going to be a temporary thing, and you'll be back soon. But when I got that call from the doctor, and he Basically, without saying anything, he said, you've got two options or two things are going to happen. Either one, she's going to recover or two, she's not, is basically what I got out of the conversation. And this is going to be the end of it. And that was the one that was kind of the first real wake up that something could be happening really soon. And pretty much just was doing a lot of crying and praying at that point. So, yeah, that was pretty rough. Yeah. You know, you never told me that until like way past even maybe being back home from California. So it was like six months after all the the treatments. But so that same day that that doctor that had done the surgery, he came in and he said, hey, do you pray? And I said, yeah, do you? And he said, yeah. He says, you need to call on as many prayer warriors as possible. This isn't looking good. And I remember putting out a text message to all my prayer warriors. And within two days, everything that needed to happen happened. And I was walking out of that hospital. And I remember you had told me you were actually quite shocked by that, right? Oh, yeah. I I was pretty shocked. I was like, what? Two days ago, you told me that she's probably not going to make it out of here. And then now all of a sudden you're releasing her. I, I kind of thought maybe they were just letting her go home to see the family one more time, honestly, and until you got home and then, you know, you were feeling pretty good. And then I remember your first pretty decent bowel movement (laughs) was like a big celebration. And Mm -hmm. then the recovery was kind of on. Yeah, it was when I got released from the hospital, it was like game on. And I just, you know, want to share all that as a reminder to you all, because the power of prayer is beyond powerful. I mean, I'm here today when I have, you know, I was given like a nine month survival rate that I did not come into agreement with. Okay, that's very important is that I was like, no, 
No, you don't get to tell me how long I'm going to live. That is my creator's job. And so I chose to fight hard and believe what God's word said and surround myself with people who believed in me and believed for me. Because I'll be honest, the first two and a half months, you know, with how sick I was and, you know, kind of the doctor treating me, you know, he wouldn't really speak the truth, right? He was kind of one of those doctors that just... What would you say about him? The oncologist? Yeah. Yeah, he was a very optimistic type of person. So he didn't want to share bad news. He just wanted to paint everything in the most positive light. And I could kind of get that sense from him, but I think most people liked him because he did that. So that's why he continued to do it. But I do also remember when you got back, I don't think you were in too much pain. I mean, there was the pain from the surgeries and stuff, but the just mental torment seemed like it was super intense from my perspective. You were just constantly going after your thoughts to remain positive, remain focused on the power of God and how he was the one that could heal you. And remember your red flag that you were waving all over the place, even though you had tubes sticking out of your body and scars all over the place. And yeah, that was pretty powerful and crazy. Yeah, that's because I read in Second Chronicles 20 about how, I, I can't remember the exact verse, but it was a war that was going on. Whenever the people of God would worship, their enemies would be defeated. And that's how they won the battle was through worship. And that's what I quickly learned from the get-go of this cancer diagnosis was worship was the way to win the warfare. And I know some of you listening in maybe don't have that personal relationship with the Lord, or maybe you have, you know him a little bit, but you really don't know how to worship him through your trials. I want to challenge you to learn how to do that because that is how you're going to overcome. And that's how you uh, begin to be strong in who God created you to be and walk in confidence because you see that there's like this beautiful exchange that happens. It's like when you worship him, then in, in exchange, he gives you his perspective. He gives you his mighty tools to win the battle. So there's so much about worship that is just beautiful and powerful. So let's talk about how you actually had to step in and be my caregiver. Because when I was in the hospital, they put you know a feeding tube in me. I don't remember exactly why that had happened. But they also put a pick line in me, and I remember being so drugged up on the morphine that um, just, you know, I had like this God encounter in the hospital. And once I had that encounter with the Lord, I was just like, it was just maybe a day or two before, you know, the whole incident happened with the doctor, and I was able to leave the hospital. But basically, I took myself off morphine. I was like, what am I doing with this morphine? And that's when I kind of began to see clearly. And there's this shift that happened. And it was a spiritual shift that happened when I said, I don't want this morphine. You know, and again, I don't even know why I was on it because I really wasn't in any pain. So fast forward to getting home. So we had to do the injections in my stomach because of being prone to, was it blood clotting? Yeah. Yeah. So my husband became my nurse. So let's talk about that. 
Now that part of it actually wasn't too bad because it kind of gave me a, a job to do. So I was able to give you your blood thinners, your, those injections you just mentioned, and then you needed your pick line rinsed out once a day. So there was a flush that I had to provide to you every night. And I, I kind of just enjoyed doing that. <laughs> well, we realized that you maybe thought you'd want to be a nurse because you were just so I, good and careful. I and... did consider a, a job change there briefly. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think that was better for me than when I didn't have something to do. Like when you were feeling good and you were trying some of these other things that you tried and you've done a lot of different things, but they didn't really involve help from me. And those ones were a little harder to do because I didn't have a job and it was more just supporting you in whatever you did. And coming from the engineering mind that you mentioned earlier, I didn't necessarily always find a validation on that those would be effective. Right. So that was kind of tough on us. Well, and soon after I got out of the hospital, I, I was like, God had put it in my heart not to do conventional treatment. I didn't even have the knowledge and the research that I have now, but I followed the voice of the Lord because I had already had that relationship with him. And so you and I did not agree on that standpoint because I was like, well, I can't do chemo. I need to go and build my immune system. And my mom had found the place in California and, you know, so it took a little convincing because tell them your real thoughts. <laughs> well, so if you're looking at normal publications and what you can read online, most of the stuff is going to tell you that any non-conventional treatment doesn't work and it's just a waste of money and you're going to end up with the same result anyway and have to come back and do chemo anyway. At least that's all the stuff that I was seeing. And so when she wanted to go away and do the California, go to, down to California and get these other more holistic treatments, which was super expensive, I was very skeptical about it. So that was probably the most difficult thing was to support you in that area, just knowing that it was completely against what I felt. But now looking back on it almost four years later, it's been as at least as effective as the chemo, normal chemo would have been. And without all those side effects, you would have been in pretty bad pain, I think, going through the normal chemo. So you've kind of convinced me over, but it took a long time, honey. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. And I was in this survival mode and I was like, no. Hey, I want to pause from today's episode and talk about an immune system molecule that has certainly changed my life, but is making a lot of waves out in the world. And strong immunity is my passion. And I truly believe that every single person needs to be using this molecule. It activates your natural killer cells. It makes your immune system 437% smarter. It kills cancer cells. And its main job is to help your body recognize a threat and then respond to it. Now, one of the great things about this molecule is if your body doesn't recognize where the problem is, it can't certainly fight it. So it's like this molecule points out 
where the problem is so it can effectively fight it. So if you are interested in what this molecule could do for you, go ahead and message me at hello at ericamatthews.co. All right, let's get back into today's episode. I would get so triggered, to be perfectly honest, with people that had a bald head that had gone through the chemo and would be laying in hospital beds. It would just trigger me. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't be like one of those. So I'm just want to say thank you so much for your support, honey, for, I mean, obviously that shows how much you love me, that you were willing to spend all that money because, you know, let's be real. It's been probably close to $300,000 that we've spent somewhere close to that, maybe two, maybe two. 250. I don't know. I, I can't keep trap keep <laughs> track anymore. But all I know is that I have, it's really been a school for me, just educating myself. And with cancer, you know, it's about going to the root cause. And it is about throwing multiple things at it to see what will stick, you know, because it's not one size fits all. And that's really the problem I have with the conventional world is that they say, you know, oh, you have breast cancer. Okay. You need these certain chemo agents or you have ovarian cancer. You need these types. And, you know, we're such different, you know, human beings that it's not a one size fits all. So I know this has been such a spiritual awakening and I know it's been a spiritual awakening for you too. You really had to trust the Lord in a greater way, huh? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we kind of each got our words from the Lord at the beginning of the journey because there was a lot of intense praying going on, both together and individually. And the words I was getting weren't quite the same that Erica was getting, but the main thing was just trusting in the Lord and that He was going to bring us through this. And I even remember, it might have been that first weekend before you even did surgery or anything, that I was outside with our daughter and we're hanging out in the backyard. And I was worried about, you know, your diagnosis. And then all of a sudden, just this peace kind of came over me that the Lord was saying, you know, it's going to be okay. And I don't know what okay meant, but it was just that mindset of trusting in him and relying on him for the future. Okay, you've never told me that before. No, I don't think I have. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Well, let's talk about California, because I know, you know, again, you guys, he has that, you know, he's not in the same mindset of that I was in. He's just looking at the dollar figures. He's looking at, you know, he's going to have to leave his job. He's going to take care of our daughter, who at the time was, she had just turned two. And all the logistics of everything, because, you know, again, he's an engineer, right? So he has to have everything sort of figured out beforehand. So it was a, a mental burden for you more than anything. And I think, you know, and you can speak on this if you want, but I think for men, they're fixers, you know? And so this was something that he could not fix. And I think that that was really hard for you. Yeah, that was really hard. There's nothing really you can do other than support your wife and just encourage her. And even that was a challenge just because of the things we just talked about or we weren't quite aligned on 
treatment plan. So I was just doing the best I could with what I had. And taking care of our daughter, I guess, kind of kept it off my mind a little bit. But at the same time, I was missing a bunch of work for this too. So you get this sense of, oh, well, I'm not effective at work anymore because I'm only working half as much as I should be working. And so that was also kind of a big stressor on me, plus her diagnosis, of course. And that one month that you were really sick, yeah, that was just really rough because we were like, what are we doing down here? This is almost as bad as real chemo. Mm. And it turned out to be a different infection, mm-hmm. um, which once they got that figured out, oh, um, you were you were good again. Mm-hmm. But for that one month, that was like the worst month ever. We had all kinds of things going wrong, weren't we? We had flat our, tire. We had two flat tires within a week. Our daughter broke her leg going down a slide. I threw my back out, and I think there was probably something else well, that happened and, too. And then the infection was so bad. Oh yeah, well that's when the infection started. So. I'm glad we're done with that part. Yeah, trials. But trials turn to gold. And then you sort of had a mental breakdown at one point a little bit with just, you know, not just all of it being too much. And I know you were trying to kind of keep that back from me because you didn't want to lay that burden on me a little bit. But I think it's important for people to know how you overcame that. How did I overcome that? <laughs> well, just anytime you're undergoing stress. And so I can understand why, you know, spouses that have to work with the person that was diagnosed, how a lot of people just don't make it in their marriage just because of all the burdens that are on them. So I can understand and empathize with that. And I faced the same emotions and troubles and there were times when you know you just this anger rises up in you so yeah I guess we had a little bit of an explosion on one particular occasion and you just got to kind of move off and cool down again and remember that the Lord's in control and mm. release things to him again and not try and control stuff because you can't control it you can't That's what's been so hard for me is because I feel like I'm a, well, I'll say I'm a recovering control freak because I've just learned to let go of of so much because so much of life we think is in our control, but it's really not. It's just a perception. And cancer is one of those things. I mean, even if your doctor tells you, oh yeah, you have six sessions of chemo and this and that, and you'll be, you know, you should be good to go. Well, that doesn't always work out that way. And so, you know, I personally would have never thought that it would be taking this long uh, for my healing, but um, my confidence is in God's word and what he's told me. So that's what I trust in. But yeah, so going back to just kind of what happened in California, we were just learning to let go of control, basically, me in a different way. And then you in a different way. And I think it did help, just as just my perspective, when you started really seeing my results. Things were really beginning to turn around for me and while we were still there. You know, I think my tumor markers became in normal range. And so that, I think, kind of put some hope in your heart, right? Right, because the concern is you're just throwing away money. And so if 
money's going out and nothing's getting better, then that creates a lot of angst. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, once your numbers started going down and you got a PET scan and everything was shrinking, then that was really encouraging, yeah. Yeah. And especially after, I guess it was like four and a half months, almost five months, when the doctors were pretty happy about where everything was going and they said we could even go back home and you could just fly down every other month. That was like a huge burden off me because mm. it meant we could kind of get back to normal a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things I want to just publicly speak of is I want to thank you for all the support, honey, that you gave to me, like the prayer support. I mean, I remember all the multiple bad news that I would get. I remember when I was interviewing the chemo doctor at the cancer center and they did not do the full blown chemo. They did what's called IPT, which is 10% of the normal amount. And I, you know, for a while, because once I got out of the place of fear into faith, then I had this radical mindset that I didn't almost need to do any low dose chemo, right? Or any treatment because God was going to heal me. That right? That's Yeah, you definitely had your uh, cycles of, oh no, what's going to happen? I need to do all this stuff. And then I don't need to do anything. God's got this and I'm already healed. And, you know, there's some balance that we're, you're still trying to figure out some balance <laughs> with things. Yeah. So, but you were extremely supportive. Like when I would get the bad news, you know, I remember the chemo doctor telling me that she said, unfortunately, chemo doesn't work for ovarian cancer. I was blown away that she would, number one, even tell me that. But then she went on to say that, but if I were you, I would do it to buy some time. You know, and I remember coming into agreement with that for a moment. And I finished the appointment, came back to where you were, the Airbnb and Dana Point. And I told you about it, and I was just so like distraught and just fear-filled again. And I remember you just covered me in prayer. And after I cried my heart out to you, and every time my husband would just pray over me and console me, it was just like I had that strength from him. And so I just think that's so important if, you know, if you're a caregiver listening in, you know, as much as possible to work to be on the same team as the person with the cancer diagnosis, because, you know, God says that when you get married, you two become one. So you, you essentially are a team together and it really is needed. I mean, there's so much that is coming against somebody with a cancer diagnosis. It's the fear. It's the voice of the enemy. It's the lies from the enemy. It's the what ifs. It's, oh, my children. And then it's like all the daily chores that we have to do. And then what about even all the healing modalities? That's like a full-time job. And then what if you are taking chemo and you know, you're know you so sick for the three weeks that you have to go and, you know, before you have to go get another chemo cycle. So I mean, it, it's just, there's so much. And so just to have that, 
that spouse that is with you and for you and uh, can encourage you and, and cheer you on. And it's just, it's priceless, honey. And I just want to say thank you publicly because I know in the beginning you were struggling to even believe that I was going to make it. And that's partly because of what he was reading on the internet, right? But then you stopped and you were like, okay, well, this isn't going to work too well. I, I need to go to God. And that's when God began speaking to you. And he was just telling you like, trust me, I've got this, I've got her and it's going to be okay. And so what advice would you say to caregivers out there? Probably just, it's almost just like normal marriage advice, really. Just communicate with each other and be committed to each other. Mm-hmm. I think that was part of the problem. I had disagreements with how I wanted things to go, but I felt like if I tried to communicate them to you, then it would cause you to be upset. Mm-hmm. So then I'd have to hold it in, and then that would cause me to just be angry. But if I was communicating better, we could work things out, and you don't always have to agree on everything. It was your body, so you know, you're, you have a little bit more say in it yeah. than me, but just talking things out and figuring out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And for you too, communicating, oh, what is it that I need from my husband or what do you need from your spouse? Cause I think guys, especially if we've got a task to do that, we can only think about one thing at a time. <laughs> so if we've got a task to do, then we're thinking about the task and we're not thinking about the other things that are going on. So if you communicate to a spouse that you need prayer or that you need, you know, a dinner's made or whatever it is, I think that was always when I was in a better mind state was mm. when I was having to do something to take care of you, mm. whether that was cooking or praying or being your nurse, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It was those times when I wasn't necessarily doing anything to help you because you kind of had things taken care of yourself that I'd get stuck more in my head and struggle a bit more. Mm-hmm. Like when your mind was idle and you weren't able to help me. Right. Yeah. Well, I can't say enough how much your prayers have changed my life. And I know you've really grown in your prayer life, right? Your prayers are so powerful. And like I can be in the doomiest, gloomiest pit and maybe feeling hopeless about my situation. And then your prayers just, they change everything. And, you know, you and I have begun to take communion pretty often together, which is so powerful. So, you know, it's really amazing to see how much you have grown through this because, you know, like I said earlier, we're definitely, we're a team together. It's not just Erica's healing or Erica's, you know, survival story because it's, you know, it's God's changing you in the process. And sometimes people don't allow that to happen. I mean, I remember meeting a woman at the cancer center who her husband had just divorced her once he found out she was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, and she never recovered from that, unfortunately, and she never healed. But just that broke my heart that there's people out there like that. And I'm so grateful that you're not like that, that you're just, you are a man of love and you're a man of strength. And I just thank you for pouring into me and pouring into our daughter. Like you're the best dad ever to her. You really are, honey. You're welcome, honey. Yeah. When 
we take our marriage vows about sickness and in health, we don't really think about the sickness part too much. It's more of a, oh, if my wife has a cold, I'll make her some soup. <laughs> We're not thinking about cancer diagnosis. So, yeah, honey, I, but that's still the same vow, whether it's a cold or a cancer diagnosis. Mm. And, you know, it's out of love that I'm, that you do things, not just because, oh, I took a marriage vow, but I really do love you, honey. And that's why I'm still here and still taking care of you. And I'm just so happy that you're been doing so well. Yeah. Thank you. Well, is there any final words that you want to say? Anything, any hope that you want to give to people listening in? Just that there's always hope. Things can turn around in a second. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of how it starts. It started, everything seemed fine, and then all of a sudden there's this diagnosis. But the reverse can happen too. All of a sudden you find something that reverses the progression of the cancer or we've heard stories of God healing in an instant as well. And it could be when you're in the hospital and it looks like this is the end and then snap all of a sudden, Oh, everything's good again. Yeah. So, uh, it's never too late. So you just keep fighting and trusting the Lord and sticking with your spouse. Yeah. So good. So good. Yeah, never underestimate the power of God and what he can do. And one of my favorite quotes that I made up is that at any given moment, God can shift you from waiting on your miracle to walking in your miracle. So I just want to leave you with that. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to the show. My prayer is that the podcast encouraged you and filled you with hope. If you loved what you heard today and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it on social media, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To catch the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at It's Erica Matthews and join my Hope and Healing for Cancer Facebook group. Remember this, anything worth having takes work. See you next week for a new episode.